Have you ever received a call or text from a number that you don't know saying that a package you ordered hasn't been delivered because they need just a little bit more information from you? You don't remember ordering a package and then start wondering how this scammer got your number. Well, anytime you go online and accept cookies or buy anything online, websites can keep your data and sell it to data brokers who create a digital ID of you. They can sell this digital ID to the highest bidder, and lo and behold, a bunch of scammers get a ton of information about you that you never agreed to give them. Well, with Ecogni, this is no longer an issue. All you need to do is sign up, and Ecogni will use the GDPR and CCPA and other privacy laws to get these companies to remove your data from their networks, protecting you and your data from scammers and anyone else who wants to use your data against you. Use the link in the description or episode notes and get Ecogni today for $6.49 a month on a one-year plan and protect your data and digital ID. With continual development in technology, hackers and cyber criminals are getting better and better at installing viruses and hacking your electronic devices. We've all had antivirus software, but your run-of-the-mill software just isn't good enough anymore. With Surfshark Antivirus, not only will you have antivirus scans and real-time virus protection, but you'll also have access to a VPN. You'll be protected from targeted ads and tracking. You'll be notified if your data gets leaked by data brokers. And most importantly, it's incredibly easy to set up and use. If you feel like your online protection should be better, use the link in the description and episode notes to get 76% off Surfshark Antivirus today and feel safe every day on your devices. Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury Part 1 The Half and the Salamander Part 1 It was a pleasure to burn. It was a special pleasure to see things eaten, to see things blackened and changed. With the brass nozzle in his fists, with this great python spitting its venomous kerosene upon the world, the blood pounded in his head, and his hands were the hands of some amazing conductor playing all the symphonies of blazing and burning to bring down the tatters and charcoal ruins of history. With his symbolic helmet numbered 451 on his stolid head, and his eyes all orange flame with the thought of what came next, he flicked the igniter, and the house jumped up in a gorging fire that burned the evening sky red and yellow and black. He strode in a swarm of fireflies. He wanted above all, like the old joke, to shove a marshmallow on a stick in the furnace while the flapping pigeon-winged books died on the porch and lawn of the house, while the books went up in sparkling whirls and blew away on a wind turned dark with burning. Montag grinned the fierce grin of all men singed and driven back by flame. He knew that when he returned to the firehouse, he might wink at himself, a minstrel man burned cork in the mirror. Later, going to sleep, he would feel the fiery smile still gripped by his face muscles in the dark. It never went away, that smile. It never ever went away, as long as he remembered. He hung up his black beetle-coloured helmet and shined it. He hung his flame-proof jacket neatly. He showered luxuriously. And then, whistling, hands in pockets, 
walked across the upper floor of the fire station and fell down the hole. At the last moment, when disaster seemed positive, he pulled his hands from his pockets and broke his fall by grasping the golden pole. He slid to a squeaking halt, the heels one inch from the concrete floor downstairs. He walked out of the fire station and along the midnight street toward the subway where the silent, air-propelled train slid soundlessly down its lubricated flue in the earth and let him out with a great puff of warm air to the cream-tiled escalator rising to the suburb. Whistling, he let the escalator waft him into the still night air. He walked to the corner, thinking little at all about nothing in particular. Before he reached the corner, however, he slowed, as if a wind had sprung up from nowhere, as if someone had called his name. The last few nights, he had the most uncertain feeling about the sidewalk just around the corner here, moving in the starlight towards his house. He had felt that a moment prior to making the turn, someone had been there. The air seemed charged with a special calm, as if someone had waited there quietly, and only a moment before he came, simply turned to a shadow and let him through. Perhaps his nose detected a faint perfume. Perhaps the skin on the back of his hands, on his face, felt the temperature rise at this one spot where a person standing might raise the immediate atmosphere ten degrees for an instant. There was no understanding it. Each time he made the turn, he only saw the white, unused, buckling sidewalk, with perhaps, on one night, something vanishing swiftly across a lawn before he could focus his eye or speak. But now, tonight, he slowed almost to a stop, his inner mind, reaching out to turn the corner for him, had heard the faintest whisper. Breathing? Or was the atmosphere compressed merely by someone standing very quietly there, waiting? He turned to the corner. The autumn leaves blew over the moonlit pavement in such a way as to make the girl who was moving there seem fixed to a sliding walk, letting the motion of the wind and leaves carry her forward. Her head was half-bent to watch her shoes stir the circling leaves. Her face was slender and milk-white, and it was a kind of gentle hunger that touched over everything with tireless curiosity. It was a look, almost, of pale surprise. The dark eyes were so fixed to the world that no move escaped them. Her dress was white, and it whispered. He almost thought he heard the motion of her hands as she walked, and the infinitely small sound now, the white stir of her face turning when she discovered she was a moment away from a man who stood in the middle of the pavement, waiting. The trees overhead made a great sound of letting down their dry rain. The girl stopped, and looked as if she might pull back in surprise, but instead stood regarding Montag, with eyes so dark and shining and alive that he felt he had said something quite wonderful. But he knew his mouth had only moved to say hello, and then, when she seemed hypnotised by the salamander on his arm and the phoenix disc on his chest, he spoke again. Of course, he said. You're the new neighbour, aren't you? And you must be. She raised her eyes from his professional symbols. The fireman. Her voice trailed off. How oddly you say that. I'd... I'd have known it with my eyes shut. 
she said, slowly. What, the smell of kerosene? My wife always complains, he laughed. You never wash it off completely. No, you don't, she said in awe. He felt she was walking in a circle about him, turning him, end for end, shaking him quietly, and emptying his pockets without once moving herself. Kerosene, he said, because the silence had lengthened, is nothing but perfume to me. Does it seem like that, really? Of, of course. Why not? She gave herself time to think of it. I don't know. She turned to face the sidewalk, going toward their homes. Do you mind if I walk back with you? I'm Clarice McKellen. Clarice. Guy Montag. Come along. What are you doing out so late, wandering around? How old are you? They walked in the warm, cool, blowing night on the silvered pavement, and there was the faintest breath of fresh apricots and strawberries in the air. And he looked around and realised this was quite impossible so late in the year. There was only the girl walking with him now, her face bright as snow in the moonlight, and he knew she was working his questions around, seeking the best answers she could possibly give. Well, she said, I'm seventeen, and I'm crazy. My uncle says the two always go together. When people ask your age, he said, Always say, seventeen, and insane. Isn't this a nice time of night to walk? I like to smell things and look at things and sometimes stay up all night walking and watch the sun rise. They walked on again, in silence. And finally she said, thoughtfully, You know, I'm not afraid of you at all. He was surprised. Why should you be? So many people are. Afraid of firemen, I mean. But you're just a man, after all. He saw himself in her eyes, suspended in two shining drops of bright water, himself dark and tiny, in fine detail, the lines about his mouth, everything there as if her eyes were two miraculous bits of violet amber that might capture and hold him intact. Her face, turned to him now, was fragile milk crystal, with a soft, constant light in it. It was not the hysterical light of electricity, but the strangely comfortable and rare and gently flattering light of the candle. One time, when he was a child, in a power failure, his mother had found and lit a last candle, and there had been a brief hour of rediscovery of such illumination that space lost its vast dimensions and drew comfortably around them, and they, mother and son, alone, transformed, hoping that the power might not come on again too soon. And then Clarice McKellen said, Do you mind if I ask, how long have you been working as a fireman? Since I was twenty. Ten years ago. Do you ever read any of the books you burn? He laughed. That's against the law. <laughs> oh, of course. It's fine work. Monday, Bum, Malay. Wednesday, Whitman. Friday, Faulkner. Burn them to ashes, then burn the ashes. That's our official slogan. They walked still further, 
and the girl said, Is it true that a long time ago, firemen put fires out instead of going to start them? No, houses have always been fireproof. Take my word for it. Strange. I heard once that a long time ago, houses used to burn by accident and they needed firemen to stop the flames. He laughed. She glanced quickly over. Why are you laughing? <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> he started to laugh again and stopped. Why? You laugh when I haven't been funny and you answer right off. You never stop to think what I've asked you. He stopped walking. You are an odd one, he said, looking at her. Haven't you any respect? I don't mean to be insulting, it's just... I love to watch people too much, I guess. Well, doesn't this mean anything to you? He tapped the numerals, 451, stitched on his charcoal-coloured sleeve. Yes, she whispered. She increased her pace. Have you ever watched the jet cars racing on the boulevards down that way? You're changing the subject. I sometimes think the drivers don't know what grass is, or flowers, because they never see them slowly, she said. If you showed a driver a green blur, oh yes, he'd say, that's grass. A pink blur, that's a rose garden. White blurs are houses, brown blurs are cows. My uncle drove slowly on a highway once. He drove 40 miles an hour, and they jailed him for two days. Isn't that funny and sad, too? You think too many things, said Montag uneasily. I rarely watch the parlor walls, or go to the races, or fun parks, so I've lots of time for crazy thoughts, I guess. Have you seen the 200-foot-long billboards in the country beyond town? Did you know that once billboards were only 20 feet long? but cars started rushing by so quickly they had to stretch the advertising out so it would last. I didn't know that. Montag laughed abruptly. I bet I know something else you don't. There's dew on the grass in the morning. He suddenly couldn't remember if he had known this or not, and it made him quite irritable. And if you look, she nodded at the sky, there's a man in the moon. He hadn't looked for a long time. They walked the rest of the way in silence. Hers, thoughtful. His, a kind of clenching and uncomfortable silence in which he shot her accusing glances. But when they reached her house, all its lights were blazing. What's going on? Montag had rarely seen that many house lights. Oh, just my mother and father and uncle sitting around talking. It's like being a pedestrian, only rarer. My uncle was arrested another time, did I tell you? For being a pedestrian. Oh, we're most peculiar. But what do you talk about? She laughed at this. <laughs> Good night. She started up her walk, then seemed to remember something, and came back to look at him with wonder and curiosity. Are you happy? She said. Am I what? he cried. But she was gone, running in the moonlight, her front door shut gently. Thank you so very much for listening. If you enjoyed, please leave a review. 
And if you really want to support me, share this chapter with your friends, family, and whoever you feel would enjoy it. And if you really wish to support me, head to my Patreon. The link is in the episode notes. If you choose to follow the podcast, you'll have three new chapters per week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Once again, I thank you for listening. And until next time, bye-bye.